superstars, if you will, but uh, I've been knowing them since I was a teenager. Um, and then when I started getting serious about trying to do music myself, um, that's when I got familiar with uh, the OG Wicked Cricket. Rest in peace to him. Mm. And me and him been rocking like since I was in my late teens. Yeah, so, so um, uh, Ricky Cricket, what's his name? Ricky Cricket? Wicked Cricket. Wicked Cricket. Uh, t- tell me tell me about him because I've heard his name mentioned yes. a while, uh, you know, uh, several times. Uh, how much of an influence did he have in the, in the Houston scene? He is. He is one of the seeds of what we call country rap tunes. He was originally born in New York. I actually didn't even find that out until he got sick or whatever. But he was originally born in New York. But him and a handful of other people, him and a guy, a white guy by the name of Steve Fournier and a couple of other people, they are the reason why there's rap in Houston, period. Because they were the the infrastructure before there was a rap a lot, there was a Wicked Cricket and a Steve Fournier. So before and for a long time, we were the consumers of hip hop in the South in Texas. Yeah. And so long before there was actually people who were taken serious as rappers in the city, there were clubs that were catering to that market and that audience. Mm-hmm. And Wicked Cricket is a part of that. Steve Fournier is a part of that. Yeah. So when Willie D was like a, a, a battle rapper, Wicked Cricket was already the man in the clubs. Oh. And if you know anything about Houston, we are heavily driven by our club scene. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, tell me about the club so scene. So like down stuff there. like this virus shutdown stuff yeah. is is a real. That that is the club scene and the block parties are how everybody for the most part that you know from Houston is how they're known. Oh, really? So when you look at, let's say for example, if you look at Swisher House, that started at a place called Salt and Pepper Patch. Mm-hmm. It was like a teen night. So without that teen night, there is no Swisher House. There probably is no Slim Thug. There is no Paul Wall, no Chameleon there. Because the, the, the ground, the groundwork of that started at the teen club, Salt and Pepper Patch. Uh, I'm actually real cool with a guy by the name of DJ Chill. He's one of my OGs in the the music game. Him and and, uh, Screw started out together. Oh, really? They used to to share equipment. So doing teen parties and doing clubs and stuff, they would share each other's equipment because one had a turntable and one did. And and they each had a, a turntable and a mixer. So yeah. if there was an a, a event they could do together, they would do it together. If at all possible, then it'd be a situation where, okay, if Chill got a, a Friday to do and, and Screw didn't have a Friday, Chill could borrow Screw's turntable and vice versa. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. So without the club scene, there is no, a lot of this that you know of. Yeah. Because uh, in Houston, we are very independent. The clubs and the streets, perpetuate our song that's what you're saying for so, better or worse yeah so um was michael michael watts was he already a, a radio dj or what how, how did how did he come about he was a street dj uh ron c was in the in the radio arena okay ron c actually brought watts into the radio world uh, as a DJ or what? 
Yeah, it's a DJ. Okay. Yeah, they both they both are like pillars on 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 the north side of town as far as DJing is concerned. Uh, uh, Michael Watts, Ron C. I would put uh, OG Walter D, DJ Walter D from 979. I'd put him in that too as well. They are like the the founding fathers of the North Side as far as DJing is concerned. As yeah. far as like the type of DJ that would usher in new artists. So they are like our screw on the North Side. Yeah, yeah. That uh, I was talking to. That, I was talking to uh, ESG, and he was saying that. Um, Michael Watts was actually like he's because the he he was saying like the North Side didn't really have anybody representing them and Michael Watts was the one that kind of took the lead on that and 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 kind of got got everybody together on the North Side. Yeah. Yeah, people kept asking him to do a slow down tape because basically what was happening is with all the conflict that was going on at the time in the streets the south side artists them also a lot of times being out of the streets and from the streets was incorporating some of what was going on in the streets in their music yeah. so what what ends up happening is you're you getting these these tapes and you think they dope but the tape you got is talking about your side of town oh i see what you're saying yeah and then yeah. you get another tape and then you get another tape man yeah. Them dudes with them braids, them dudes with them, yeah. you know, with them afros, man, them dudes from that north side coming over here doing blah, blah, blah. So after a while, it's like, I kind of want to jam you, but you're talking about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, women, I don't know what it is about women. Women, I don't know how they are able to do it. They yeah. can listen to music, talking to great women, talking about women in all shape, forms, and fashion, and wave it off like nothing. But yeah. dudes can't do that. Yeah. You're not gonna catch no dude riding around jamming something saying all men ain't worth nothing. Yeah. So, so likewise, when it came to the to the to the underground scene, like people were somewhat because I had the first time I heard a school tape was from my cousin, and he's from the north side. Yeah, there's people from the north side that would support the school, but overall, it wasn't as impactful as it could have been because it got to a place where some of the artists was talking about the north side. Mm, yeah. So it got to a point where it, that actually had that not happened, there may not have been a window for Wise. Yeah. Because that was the whole thing that made people push him to want to do the, the slow down version for the North Side because we don't want to jam these dudes. They're talking about us. Yeah. So yeah. had they not done that, that probably would never been a Wise. So if anybody from the yeah. South Side is mad at, at Wise, they were mad at everyone, see? <laughs> now you know why there was even an opportunity for that. Because yeah. had there not been people saying them boys on the nose stealing cars, or, but had they not done that, there probably would have never been a Watts. Yeah. So, uh, or at least not in the way that he is now. I mean, because he was still DJing before he ever slowed down a tape. Yeah. Did, did, did he do a lot of slow, slow down tapes or not, not really? What? Not before people started asking them. Yeah, yeah. But the whole Swisher House is based on slowed down tapes. Like you, when have you heard a, a Swisher House tape that was regular speed? Never. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I know, you know a lot of DJs, you know, do their own version of mixtape. Mixtapes are not brand new. Yeah. So hey, let me ask you this. So like, you know how uh, back in the day, like 
uh, like for example, Big Mo did that. That uh, he he uh, they sampled that uh, that song. Uh, uh, Whoa, they made man. Remember that song? Like man, I'm gonna come. Like mm -hmm. man, and it was that. It was that. It was a I sample from. It. it was yeah. a sample from uh, from. Uh, I still that? play it. From Whoa, from Black Rob. Yeah, from Black Rob. So how, how does that how does that work? Like whenever they sample that song. Do they have? Are they? Do they have to pay for for like uh, copyrights for that song or what? Well, it kind of depends on the situation. Like, had they took the original beat and tried to just make another song on top of it, maybe so. But with and it's funny with uh, uh, production too, because although a uh, man was inspired by Woe, they didn't yeah. sample Woe. So they kind of just went with the rhythm to a degree, but uh, it was more like an interpolation than anything else. It's like it reminds you of Wolf, but it's not a copy of Wolf. Oh, so as far as like say if you use something like June twenty, yeah, no, they they didn't they didn't use any part of the original Wolf song in the Man song. Yeah, they just made something that sounded familiar to Wolf. Oh, I see. It's not saying. even the same uh, uh, yeah. melody. You know, that's it's just close to the same melody. Yeah, it, it enough, like enough, enough to where you would know where they got it from. What, what is that? What is that called? Because that's 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 a strategy right there. That's some that's some, that's a music strategy. That's that's an in, that's interpolation. Interpolation. Nice. Yeah, that's what that that's what that's called in the music industry interpolation when you when you make something that is kind of not a copy of but a derivative or inspired by yeah. and you can tell where the inspiration came from that's usually called an interpolation man but so like as it pertains to mixtape stuff um as it pertains to mixtape stuff um for the most part at least, especially at that time, it was, although it was a big noise in Texas and a big noise in Houston, mm -hmm. it was still under the radar because it wasn't like now where you have Spotify and stuff like that and mm -hmm. people in Germany can get on it almost as soon as Houston can. Back then, oh, it took yeah. a while for stuff to spread out. Yeah. So that's where, like, say, for example, the beat for Just 27 came from a crisscross song. Mm. The original beat is a crisscross song. Yeah. But by the time, one thing about Houston, and, and what I've noticed with Houston too is we have this ability to kind of take ownership of somebody else's song to a degree. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if other cities have that within them. That, because, like, say, for example, June 27 came from a crisscross song. Mm -hmm. And even in the recent times, if you look at uh, the uh, the Sauce Factory. I'm sure y'all familiar with them. Sauce Twins, Sauce Walker, all of them, right? Mm -hmm. You look at the first time they got some real recognition on a on a pretty big scale was when they remade Everybody. Everybody is originally Yo Gotti song, but mm -hmm. nobody in Houston, unless you're a DJ, knows the Yo Gotti version. Yeah. All they know is the one with Sauce Walker and Slim. Well, the Sauce Twins and Slim. Yeah. And my cousin, DJ Young Sam, shout out to him. He the one that actually shot the video for that, the one with Slim and, and Sauce and Sauce Twins. Yeah. 
You know, that, that's, a, that's a very, that's a very uh, interesting point that how, how Houston, or matter of fact, Texas, can just kind of like take a song, uh, you know, make a mixtape out of it and kind of get away with it. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of because, again, it's one of them kind of things where the people that was on the outside that had the influence and the power kind of shot themselves in the foot. When you come to Houston in the beginning, let's say the 80s, yeah, you, we, were just, we were just mainly fans of rap. And when we were trying to get ourselves together and and, and create a space at the table for ourselves that we not real hip-hop we, all of those type of things start happening so when that happens texas turned itself into an island and that's where the power comes in because if you're from let's say if you're from new york you don't know that you can fit new york inside texas three or four or five times yeah we're that big mm. So, and, and then when you put that with the fact of Louisiana is kind of like our close cousin. So yeah. if you get Texas, you almost automatically going to get Louisiana. If you yeah. get Louisiana, you almost automatically going to get Texas. Yeah. This, we are where they came from the East Coast and partially from the West Coast to make all their money. They came through the Midwest and the South to make money. Yeah. So when you start shitting on us, and we get to the point where we didn't have enough and we fed up, then guess what? We closed the gates to Texas and we didn't yeah. create our own thing. And now you got to get permission to come in when at first we just let you come in just out the strength of we were such fans of the art form. Yeah, that's so true. So, so had, had the East and the West, not so much the West, more so the East, but mm -hmm. the West kind of had it a little bit too, but had the East been more inclusive, we would probably never be where we are. Because we'd have been trying to go get record deals instead of selling out the trunk. Yeah, yeah. We would have so been um, trying to knock at the door and ask for them to let us in instead of saying, well, you know what? Fuck y'all. We country rap tunes. We're going to make our own thing. You ain't never heard of Screw. You must not be from the South. Yeah. Yeah. And so now instead of us, instead of us being in a position where, because we don't know about, uh, um, uh, your boroughs, and we don't know about um, um, catching the train to go from this area, and we don't know about yeah. Harlem, since we don't know about this, and you making it like there's something wrong with us because we don't have this knowledge. Now, when you come down here, there's something wrong with you because you don't know nothing about screw. You ain't never heard of syrup. Y'all don't do sweets. You ain't never seen a candy car before. You don't know yeah. nothing about foes. You got to <laughs> learn a whole new language now. <laughs> that's, that's, so, that's so true. I think... Uh, uh, the first time, uh, the first song I heard was that uh, I think the the uh, Rillis Ryman, the, the Rillis Ryman with EMG and Slim Thug. Yeah. I, I I think I think that's the that's one of the songs that that kind of like opened up. That's uh, um Rillis Rillis Ryman is uh ESG and Slim Little Thug, right? Flip if I'm correct. Is it? No, oh, yeah. Flip. Yeah, a little flipping. You talking yeah. about the one with the buy the car, buy the house? Yeah, 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 yeah. You talking yeah. about the one with the buy the car, buy? Yeah, that, that that's ESG and and little flip. And if you notice, see, the thing about me is I'm a real student of this art. 
Yeah, long I, I before, tell. Long before I ever wrote my own rap, I was in love with rap. Long before I became a DJ, I was passionate about DJs. Yeah. So I've been studying the game, and I look at it from a from a scholastic standpoint almost. Mm-hmm. Whereas with other people, it's more uh, uh, emotion, which I have emotion with it too. But I also have that part that's just like the bookworm about it. Yeah. So if you pay attention, that same rhyme pattern that ESG had on that song is popular right now. And again, all of that comes from the fact that they tried to exclude us. Had they been more inclusive, a lot of these things may not have never taken place. So in some ways, it's a blessing for us that we were excluded. And it was a curse to them that that they excluded us. Because now you go to new well, they're excluding us made us stronger. They made us have to come up with our own stuff. Oh, okay, I see what you're because saying. we would have probably sounded more a lot like New York if New York would have included us. Mm. But since New York didn't include us, we decided, well, the hell with y'all, we're gonna do our own thing. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So when Pimp C came with so when Pimp C came on, I forgot which song it was, when he came on the song and said, said, We country rap tune will so separate us from the West, from the yeah. rest. That was like us seceding from the union. Yeah. So, hey. like, and, and even if you go to Atlanta and you talk about how when uh, uh, Outkast won that award for the Source Awards mm-hmm. and they got booed and they was like, the South got something to say, right there, they kind of made us have to come up with our own shit. So, mm-hmm. and at the same time, because they excluded us so much and there's more Midwest states and more Southern states than there are East Coast states, yeah, our vibe has overwhelmed, and now when you go to New York, you're gonna hear more down south people than you're gonna hear from the East Coast. Yeah, I see what and you're even there, and even now, you can see their sound has been influenced by our sound. Yeah, the whole world sound like Houston right now. Hey, what, what do you what do you think? Uh, what do you think things would be like if uh, ES uh, UGK would have signed uh, with uh, Jay Z? Remember that there was like that big pimping song. There was talks about like them like signing with. That would have been that would have been awesome, but I don't know how well that would have worked because if you know some of the background, like I know it, then you know there might have been some conflict. Me and Pimp C kind of. I, I never met Pimp C, even though I went to his funeral. I yeah. never met him, but I felt like if we would have met, we definitely would have got along because we kind of relate on certain areas. So. If you if you want to know, like say for example, when you watch the video, have you noticed that Pimp C wasn't on the same scenes as everybody else? I, I haven't noticed it. Why is that? Yeah, it, like if you because he didn't want to do that song. Oh, he didn't. But B had convinced him to do that. No, he didn't want to do it. Pimp yeah. C had this thing about him where anybody who Tupac had beef with, he didn't like him. Mm-hmm. After Tupac died. Tupac decided whoever uh, 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 Tupac died, Pimp C decided whoever Pop didn't like, he ain't like. So when you go to hit him up and you hear him talk about Jay-Z, F you Jay-Z, you too, plus and such, you too. Mm -hmm. When that happened, everybody on that list was on Pimp C list. That's why his verse is shorter. That's why he even went extra Southern on it. 
smoking eye, pulling up. He was basically trying to super southern it. Like, oh, y'all don't like us? Oh, y'all want to rock with us now? Oh, oh, and Tupac ain't like you either? And, yeah. and Bun gonna make me do this? Well, guess what? I'm not coming over there to that carnival. I'm in, I'm in Miami. Y'all gonna ship my car to me from Texas to Miami. That was his car in the actual video. Yeah. The mink he had on is his actual mink that he had on. Yeah. He wasn't uh, 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 Bun B and Jay-Z and them, they were in Brazil, I think. They were at Carnival. Mm. C was in Miami. Yeah. So so did Bum B have a better relationship with Jay-Z or, or what, what was that about? I would say so because in my personal view of them, Bun is more the Martin Luther King. Mm. Pimp is more the Malcolm X. Yeah. So Bun knew how to kind of create certain types of relationships with people. Mm. The thing that me and Pimp have in common is if you're a cartoon, I don't care if you got a billion dollars, I don't want to do nothing with you. Yeah. Because yeah. with me, it ain't about money. It's about about your ethics and your character. Yeah. That you know, and, and now now that you kind of bring that to light, you kind of you, you can see Pimp C is that kind of person, like this real transparent and be like, hey, like you're really you're you're like a fake. If he sees like any flaw in you, like he'll know you're fake. Right? You're done. You're yeah. done. Yeah. A lot of these dudes that's popping right now would be in a manhole somewhere if Pimp C was alive. Yeah. Because a lot of stuff like he was one of them kind of people. The thing that made Pimp C dangerous was that he was the person that called out Hokey Pokey in the South. And when I say that, I mean if he said put your left foot in. The whole South put their left foot in. Yeah. Well, why do you he think said, he had that kind left. of influence? Because he was super transparent in a time where that wasn't the case. Mm. Whatever he was about, he wore it on his sleeve. And that kind of genuineness has to have a reciprocal effect. When yeah. somebody's that, when a person, when you think about it, the people you know, the people who you know when you first met them, when they showed you they know me, know, and they yes mean yes, yeah. you can't, even if you don't like their opinion, you can't help but respect it. Because you know, if this dude don't like me, he at least, he's going to give me the courtesy he don't like me. Yeah, yeah. And maybe we can fix this. Yeah. But if you're talking about me behind my back, or you got this negative opinion of me that you don't tell me, I can't fix it. Or we can't agree to disagree. Or we can't agree to go to war. Whatever the thing is. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And so he kind of, and, and he's a forefather in the South too. Like, he is a part, he's a great, not just him by himself, but him and UGK as a whole carved out a lot of the path for the South. Yeah. A lot of the shootouts they had to have and the discrepancies they had to have in the fights and the brawls with rappers that we never seen because there was no Instagram and YouTube and all that then. They did all of that before us to open those doors. So, yeah. and in the South, we are very family oriented. So mm -hmm. when you turn yourself into the uncle of the entire South, guess what? And that's yeah. what really made him dangerous. In my personal opinion, and, and I don't know enough to, to say to be true, but I don't think his death was an accident yeah. at all. 
because I look at it like this. As long as he was talking about um, pimping holes and, and, and BS and all that shit, it was fine. But when he yeah. came home, he still had that, but he also was telling the artists to look at each other's paperwork, compare notes. Stop mm. fighting each other. The first thing, one of the first things he did is make yeah. knocking those down, yeah. making all the people in Houston to stop fighting each other. Yeah. And if you, I, I'm big on documentaries, so uh, yeah. like I got the whole American Gangster uh, series. I have, and I watched my favorite gangster is Melvin Williams mm-hmm. because he was smart and he had power in his community. He was in jail. They brought him out of jail to call to to stop a riot. Yeah. He got on the microphone, said one statement, and 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 um and killed a riot in Baltimore. And somebody told him, any nigga that can stop a riot can start a riot. Mm. Same thing with Pimp C. What, what, what do you, what do you the think? whole city was fighting until he came home. Yeah, that's true. Anybody well, that can say, anybody that can come home and make people that was ready to shoot each other get on songs with each other can also say, hey, we not the enemy. They the men enemy. Let's get them. And people going to move. Mm. What, what what do you think the conspiracy behind that is? What are you, what are you, just your thoughts? Because because millions of if, if artists were motivated to become students of the paperwork as much as they are students of the craft, mm. that means a loss of millions or possibly billions of dollars for the people yeah. who are benefiting off the fact that artists don't really know paperwork. Yeah. Or artists are so busy beefing with each other that they can't see that they own record label is the one messing over. You mad at this guy over here because you misunderstood a line he said. You thought he was dissing you. He actually wasn't. But your company is actually keeping you poor. Mm. They do stuff like everything that they spend for you is recoupable. And they'll tell you well, we got this track from this big name, at least at the time, mm-hmm. this track from this big name producer, and it costed us 400000 We got to recoup that back. But in actuality, they didn't pay nothing for that track because that producer owed them a favor. Mm-hmm. Or they paid 100000 but they told you 400000 mm-hmm. Yeah, I see There's that. a I whole that. lot of... Yeah. There, there's even... It's called... Uh... uh Dead peasants mm-hmm. insurance. And what it is is that some major companies and even record labels, they will have life insurance on the artist, and the artist is unaware of it, and his family is unaware of it. Something yeah. happens to him, they collect the insurance, and you never even knew they had insurance on it. Mm. Did, did, uh, did Pimp C have that coverage? That I don't know, I don't know. That would that would be something only the people he was signed to would yeah. be knowledgeable. I mean, I'm sure they wouldn't admit to it if they did. Yeah, you know. But the that, point that, about it, the point about it is these kind of things that the average artist don't even know. Yeah. So, and then you go now and you look on YouTube. You got a uh, 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 what is this guy's name that used to be with Def Jam, uh, Leor Cohen. He's now a higher up at YouTube. 
And then what happens? They start motivating rappers to have beef with each other for views. Yeah. Takashi was actually getting paid from YouTube to go back and forth with rappers. Yeah. Now, a person like Pimp C in the, will kill all of that. <laughs> Well, why was why was YouTube? You can't do that kind of stuff with a Pimp C in existence. Yeah. Because because sensationalism sells. Yeah. He ain't the only one. He's just the most well known. Yeah. How 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 much how much of a, of an influence do you think Fifty Cent has on Takashi Six Nine? Because I, I know they kind of practice the same kind not of a lot. not tactics. a lot. Oh no. Not a lot. Uh, I would I would say he has somewhat of an influence. But 50 was motivated by 48 Laws of Power. Yeah. He actually read 48 Laws of Power. The guy that, that wrote, that used to write Don Diva magazine. Uh -huh. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Don Diva magazine? Yeah. It was a magazine that was about urban street life. So okay. they would cover stories like, like uh, uh, Jay Prince and... What was the guy that's the head of the Gangster Disciples? I forgot what it, I can't think of his name right off. Give me for for forgetting right yeah. now. But uh, the guy that's from the that was a, the leader of the Gangster Disciples and Jay Prince talking on the phone on one of the Ghetto Boys intros, mm -hmm. and then Jay Prince started getting all these legal issues right after that. They would do stories on stuff like that. Oh, or they okay. would do a story on like Rich Porter and and the whole, or the Supreme Team in New York. They would cover like like street culture. Mm -hmm. So the guy that used to write that magazine introduced Fifty when he was still signed to a, a traditional record contract before he got shot. He was introduced to uh, Forty Eight Laws of Power, and one of the Forty Eight Laws of Power states that if you want to gain big recognition, start a conflict with a big enemy because what's going to happen is everybody that knows you is going to pay attention to it and everybody that knows him now is going to know you as soon as he responds back yeah so you notice with him he don't he he he, he do his jabs here and there but he mainly do it when he got a project getting ready to come out mm, that's what you're saying so once he saw it work when he did it to ja rule and, and murder inc he just kept doing it yeah. Because that was that was his if Ja Rule was would have completely ignored him, if there would have still been a fifty cent, it would have took him a lot longer to get on. Yeah, that's true. All he had to do was ignore him. And he tried to in the beginning, but I think his ego <laughs> and some of the rules of hip hop culture kind of got the better of him. Mm. Well what are, what are some because of those rules? Well, in hip-hop, you can't let nobody diss you and you don't say nothing back. Oh, yeah, that's what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But the thing about it is that he was in a bad position because 50 was playing guerrilla war, and he doing traditional war. The thing about guerrilla war tactics is you know you outnumbered. You know that they got a bigger uh, uh, budget to fight a war than you do. So what you do is you get you use your your small stature to your advantage. They bigger than you, so you always know where they at. You smaller than them, so they don't know where you coming from. They ain't gonna oh, see you till it's too late. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. 
So the thing Jarusha did is completely ignore 50, but he didn't. Yeah. Yeah, Jarufa, I guess I guess he fell into that trap, you know? Yeah, the ego. I'm gonna let this dude keep talking about me, humiliating me in public. But the thing about it is 50's audience wasn't big enough to have that level of impact. Yeah. Had he just ignored it, people would have knew, but it wouldn't have got big as it did. Yeah. Once he started talking back to 50, now you got your millions of fans paying attention to this guy that they don't know nothing about. The only yeah. thing they know about him is he got a problem with you. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And then and then I, and then 50s kind of constantly putting out uh mixtapes to try to get in people's ear and eventually like if someone hears something for for long enough, they start to like it. Yeah, but still the thing that the thing that threw gas on the fire was him going back at him in music. Ooh, yeah. Like 50 probably still would have gotten big, but it would took him a lot longer. Yeah. So like the the beef with 50 and John Rule, like is 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 there like still beef like in, in Houston like that with artists? Or it's kind of like everybody's kind of grown up already and are how would you how would you describe Not that? really. Not definitely Definitely not with none of the um, none of the the established or as the people yeah. call the elder statesmen. They they not really with all of that. Mm. Even though there are a few that still kind of have issues with each other here and there, it's yeah. way smaller than what it was like in the mid '90s and like the early and mid '90s. Back then, somebody could die behind it. Now it's just I ain't going to his release party. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. it's a big difference. Yeah, because I I know I saw like something. Uh, uh, ESG did a, a an interview with something about um, about saying like little flip like the freestyle king. There was like something going back and forth about that. Yeah, and, I ain't gonna like, lie, I did not like that. I didn't like, like that at all. What what was that? What was that about? Well, people getting into their young egos. That's basically all it is, egos. Yeah. Because think about it. What 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 logical reason could you have to have conflict with somebody and something like that. It was supposed to be about fun. Mm. The the and with the way that I saw it presented, the idea was to have fun in the city in the way that we have fun. Yeah. In other city cities and countries and states, they don't care nothing about freestyle king. That means yeah. something in Houston. Yeah. So it was like, okay, this is part of our culture. Let's have fun. But the egos started getting in the way. Yeah. And it ends up turning something that was supposed to be fun into, it's almost like you have your, your dad and his brother and y'all supposed to be playing flag football oh, yeah. at, at the family barbecue, but yeah. they got old beef from when they was in high school <laughs> together and it ended up turning into something serious, yeah, but it was supposed yeah. to be a fun game. They started, yeah. they, they started that's basically what for real. that was. <laughs> yeah, and, and now somebody got their leg broke and can't go to work yeah. because of something that was supposed to be fun. Yeah, yeah. But you still holding on to some of that shit a little bit. Yeah, that's so like that's even now, like that. That's not a big conflict in the city, but people still make discrepancies between north and south in the city to this day. Yeah. So, like the 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 doors. The the north side has the has the the blue the blue rides right candy orino blue right and the south has the apple yeah red. well well the um uh it's not a rag thing it was more like with the uh, the paint of the cars yeah but 
it kind of had a similar effect because for a while you couldn't ride Candy Blue on the South. If you came over here with Candy Red, you might leave with some holes in your car. Yeah. So, uh, what's up with the with the like the the, the gold and then the, there's like the gold and the purple. They're, they're like now they have different color. Like is that is that different? Like, that wasn't incorporated. That wasn't incorporated in that at all. That the candy red and candy blue kind of came about the same way the Crips and Bloods came about. Mm. Like the Crips was first. They chose blue. So the people that were all people that were gangs off to themselves came together and made the bloods. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it was basically like we gotta be something opposite of them. And they like blue. So what's the opposite of blue? Red. Yeah. Yeah. So on the south side, candy red was the Big thing was the main thing. So what's the opposite of that? Blue. Yeah. But here's the thing, because uh, uh, shout out to my homegirl Rocket. She the one that kind of uh, patched up. I wanted to make sure that I, I made this point. Here was the the idiocy behind the whole thing. He was he was what made it idiotic. The whole thing got started behind people stealing cars, stealing slabs. Yeah. But what the South Side never knew was that the same people who was going over there stealing their slabs yeah. was also stealing our slabs. Yeah. <laughs> they had it, I don't know how it got to be that way, but they had the impression that it was all North Side people coming to the South stealing slabs. Yeah. But the thing about it is those guys that were stealing cars were stealing cars all over the city. Yeah. They wasn't just picking the South, and they wasn't just picking slabs. They picked slabs because if I steal a slab, that means I get rims, I get a steering wheel, I get screens, I get audio equipment. Yeah. If I steal a Corvette, it's a lot harder to sell a Corvette motor than it is to sell 315s yeah. or some swingers. Yeah. So that was the thing, is that the same people that was from the north that were stealing cars on the south side was also stealing cars on the north side, and vice versa. Yeah. You had people from the south side that they wanted to, they wanted to throw people off. They would steal a car from their own side of town, take whatever they want to take off of it, and then spray north side on it. So then when people find the car, it's a north side on the car. Yeah. You all them north side niggas, they blah, blah, blah. But the thing was, it was your partner around the corner the whole yeah. time. Your so-called partner. Yeah. yeah. Hey, is, is, is Texas the only place that, that rides swaggers? Because I think it is. We made it popular like that. Like, yeah. the original ones were made by Crager. Yeah, and when you go to like uh, Memphis, they were they used to ride Craigers too, but okay. they didn't make the distinction of the certain type, and we did. Yeah, because the original Swangers didn't come on every car; they came on the '83 and the '84 Cadillac. Yeah, the front wheel drive. So you had Craigers that came on other cars, but they the what we call Swangers only came on the '83 and '84 Cadillac. Yeah. That's was why it? it's threes and fours, 83s, 84s. That's why that's so significant. Yeah. And that's what made it such a big deal because before Texan Wiring Wheel came about, shout out to them, you had to get them only from a, a 83 Cadillac 
an 84 yeah. Cadillac or somebody who had an 83 or 84, yeah. which made it hard to find, which made them costly, which made them sought after by people who still cars. Yeah, that's so true. And then they were only front wheel drive. They're only for front wheel drive cars, right? Because which is why you had to buy the adapters. Yeah, yeah. So you hear the Slim say, "Four swingers on adapters." Yeah. Because say if you had a Buick, you need them adapters to put the swingers on. Yeah. Yeah. So that that, that I, or and, even if you had a Cadillac that wasn't in that era, like if you had a 1993 Cadillac. You couldn't put the eighty fours on there because they wouldn't fit the same. Yeah, <laughs> man. Uh, hey, so uh, what, what's going on in the music scene right now in Houston? Like, uh, is is rap a lot still doing a lot of things over there? I would say yeah. Um, Jay Prince is operating more so as an elder statesman. I think the more active is jazz, and you yes. know, with jazz comes Drake, Jazz Prince. Okay, son, right? Yeah, you know with jazz comes Drake, so. Why, why do you say that? Because jazz discovered Drake. Jazz mm. is why we know Drake. Mm. How did that? How did they, jazz, they make that connection? Well, jazz um, tried to introduce Drake to his dad via when MySpace was still popping, mm -hmm. and his dad didn't quite get it. He didn't understand it. But he said, you know, basically, and if you watch a lot of interviews, you'll see Jay Prince say the same stuff I'm saying. Yeah. But he, like, kind of gave him the go-ahead to do it on his own. And what ended up happening was Jazz is the one that brought uh, Drake to Lil Wayne and, and Cash Money, which turned into Young Money and all of that. So that's yeah. why, if you ever heard about uh, Jay Prince and doing a courtesy call and talking about how Bird man, you gonna pay my son and all that's what it's all about because mm -hmm. jazz brought Drake to Wayne. Yeah. So uh, was Drake was Drake in uh Canada at the time or what? Was he what? Was he from Canada at the time? Canada, yes. right? Okay. Yes. So uh that that's pretty interesting. So so Drake is still kind of under the rap a lot umbrellas kind yes, of sir. Oh is yes, he? I sir. didn't know that. So, it's the reason why nobody ever touches him. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't like Drake. Yeah. The only person that, that has ever proven themselves to be brave enough to, to try to put hands on him was Diddy. And I don't think he'll be doing that again. Yeah. Why, why is that? The courtesy call. Yeah. What, what is that? Like, so, like, what, what, tell me the story behind the, the Okay, so, so there's yeah, a video. The vi there's a video out where Jay Prince basically calls out everybody who is putting themselves in position to have odds with rap a lot. So in that in that that audio and video, there is he calls out Diddy for putting his hands on Drake. He calls out Lil Wayne. He calls out Lil Wayne's manager. And he calls out Birdman. And at the end of it, he says, "I'm not gonna lip wrestle with you." If you're from Houston or if you're from the South, you know what that means. And if you know him, you know that he ain't just uh, farting in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is, Long what before is, he was known in the music, he was known in the street. Yeah, what, what, is, what is Jay Prince's uh, background? Like, because I, I remember uh, uh, we didn't, you didn't really hear too much about Jay Prince until like later on, you know, because he was kind of, I mean, when Ghetto Boys came out, he was still kind of behind the scenes. 
you know, Rapid Eye was known, but you didn't really hear about Jake Prince until uh, maybe like about what, like ten years ago. Maybe he started really making yeah. making an appearance. But what, what's his like background? Um, he started out his his official biography is that he started out as a car salesman, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think the average car salesman has as much influence in the street as he has, uh-huh. not by a long shot. So me being the kind of person I am, and I'm not the type to uh, go into a person's uh, uh, background when it comes to things that might be incriminating. Yeah. I'll kind of I'll just leave it at that. But uh-huh. I will say this. He is probably the biggest elder statesman as it pertains to the streets in Texas. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. So, uh, is Zero still with rap a lot, right? Zero still raps with, is that his label? Or what? He's still, he's still, he's, he still does business with them. I don't think he's officially signed with them anymore. Oh, no? Uh, I always nah, he's, he's, doing, he's doing his own thing, uh, 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 One Deep Entertainment. Yeah, okay. How, how's, he, how's he doing? Man, Zero was hot for, I mean, he still is hot. Like, he just had, like, his unique uh, uh, style. Whenever he came out, like, it was just, like, it was a whole different, like, kind of flow, you know what I'm saying? Like, when he came out. Indeed. There will never be another Zero. Yeah. There will never be another Zero. <laughs> he, he, has, he has, like, that, he's just, like, I mean, he just has like this character about him, like he's just serious, like he's just about his, like, seems like he's just about his business. Yeah. And, and the only thing that 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 I wish more of is that when he was turning the corner to where he became more nationally known, yeah. I wish that he would have had people on his team that knew how to handle things like that on a more national level. Mm, that makes sense. That's the that's the only. Yeah, from a music standpoint, not speaking yeah. on him personally or as a person, but from a music standpoint, I would say that's probably the only shortcoming that I would see with him yeah. because there's no way in the world the West Coast could hear Zero and not like him. Yeah, there's no way in the world the West Coast, the East Coast, could hear him and not like him. Yeah, some so things true. are just undeniable. Yeah, and he's such a well-rounded artist from a performance standpoint, maybe not so much on the subject matter, which is something else I would kind of want to add to him to add more diverse subject matter and stuff like that. But from a performance standpoint, he's undeniable. Yeah. He outraps most of your favorite rappers. And if it's a chance that you might be able to get with him on the raps, he can bust the, the hook and I'll sing all of y'all. So yeah. how, can, how you, can you really compete with that? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I think that 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 you made a big good point there. Like he didn't really have, uh, he really didn't have that that uh, that support that probably saw the bigger vision b- b- behind what he's capable of uh, accomplishing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. He's one of the few rappers from Houston that I've seen perform on stage that has this what I call a Luther Vandross effect on stage. Mm. Which is probably why he picked the name Rotha Vandross as an alias. Yeah. 
because say for example you look at a person like James Brown very talented artist wrote his own music very smart businessman he had a lot going on on stage yeah you got all these dancers you got 30 million people in the band you got this happening he's dancing he's doing this this and that when you look at an old performance of Luther Vandross it's just him a microphone a spotlight he don't move a lot he don't dance, <laughs> ain't no fireworks, no, and he don't so care. True. Because that's his so voice true. is so cold that you don't care that none of that other stuff is happening. Yeah. You, know, you stand that, that, in one spot, have one bead of sweat coming down right here, and hit them notes. Yeah. Zero has that same effect on stage. When he performs, ain't a whole lot of hoopla. He ain't got no dancers, ain't no slab on stage, yeah. ain't no pyrotechnics. But when he do most city done, especially in the South, the whole crowd is gonna rap. <laughs> what, what's the, the whole crowd is yeah. gonna rap. What, 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 what's the what's the what's the story behind that song? That that song is man, that song is never gonna get old. That's one of them kind of things that I don't know what made him do it. I don't I don't not privy to that knowledge, but I will yeah. say this. That's a prime example of how Houston can kind of just take a song from somebody. Yeah. Because that beat that he used is an interpolation of the original, but it's an interpolation that Snoop Dogg did. Which one? Which Snoop so, Dogg? So he, Snoop Dogg remade Paid in Full. There's a version of, uh, I think it's on that Cost to Be the Boss, oh. of Snoop doing Paid in Full. Thinking of a master plan. Oh, Ain't yeah. nothing but sweat inside my yeah. head. He remade it. So that beat you hear Zero on is the one, not the one that Rakim originally had. It's the one that Snoop did. Mm, okay. But again, by the look on your face, I can tell you never even knew Snoop had a version. Nah. nah exactly. Yeah. yeah. I don't know of any other city or, or state that can pull that off. Yeah. Man, you know, now, now that you kind of say that, Zero, Zero's never had to like, Hype himself up, or hype his like hype his album up or whatever to 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 make sales. Like he just kind of did his thing, and and it was always like you you always knew what to expect. Like you didn't say, oh man, I don't know if I should get it because I'm not sure if it's gonna be one of those albums. It was like it was like one of those mm -hmm. albums you just put it on when that, when there were CDs, you just put it on and yeah, like you let it roll. You just let it, you just let it go. Like it, every song was just like it's good. It's if you into and if you're into his brand of music. You're not gonna have to skip a lot, yeah, yeah. You because you can tell that although he wasn't always in the best situation contractually, yeah, he had more control, more creative control, yeah. So uh, that played a, a major role because you never had to worry about if the label was gonna say you need to make something for the ladies or you need to do yeah. this or you we really want to put you with this big name producer or whatever the case. He didn't really have them kind of hindrances, yeah. And, that's, and what, that's one of the advantages of being from Houston, too, is that because we were kind of left to our own devices, we were able to be more free creatively without having to worry about, because, like, one thing, like, say, for example, about rap a lot, you never really hear about artists saying, man, I gave them 15 songs, and they didn't like none of them. Yeah. They told me I need to make a song like this, or just, like, you never really hear that. They kind of let the artist be the artist. And and, the, and now that you say like how how the Houston the club scene 
uh, plays a big part in, in like and it has a big influence in the music. You can kind of see that now, like with Zero, because you said like maybe he wasn't in the best uh, position, but he just expressed himself based off his environment, and that was like the club scene probably made him feel good. That energy, you know, the the block parties, and he expressed that in his music, and that and everybody kind of liked that. Yeah. I went to um, before I was a DJ. I would say I was probably a, in my in my late teens. There was a spot out here called Club Oasis that used to pop real big, and uh, Screw was the DJ there. I literally watched this man sell two hundred copies of June twenty seventh yeah. before the June twenty seventh song went off. Yeah. I think the original version of the song was like 15 minutes or 17 minutes. In 17 minutes, he sold 200 copies of the June 27 tape. That's the power of the clubs in Houston. If you can get the clubs behind you, you're good in Houston. And from Houston, you get Texas. So you you can pretty much say that the club scene in Houston can get you Texas. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because because once you once you get once you can get played in the clubs, then I mean the, the other cities are just waiting for stuff to come out to play. They're not really they're not really creating their own stuff. Yeah, um, a lot of the other Texas cities kind of follow the lead mm. of Houston to a degree. Yeah, what what, so, what other artists have you worked with? I, I see your your bio here, man. You have like a, a list of of artists that you've worked with? Well, um, I'm a re- I'm a, what's called a record-breaking DJ. Okay, tell me about and that. And basically, for for anybody that might be watching that might not understand what that means, that means I got what you call three categories of DJs. You got the sucker DJ. That's just some dude trying to get notoriety off of having equipment. He really don't care about the art form. He really don't care about the protocol of being a DJ. Then you got the DJ. That's the the, the typical person who is, they're good at their art, they're good at playing music, but they don't take chances on music. Mm. Then you got a person like me. I can take a song, let's say for example, you got a song, Massive Action, and I think it can work in the club. I have the courage and the know-how to present it to the crowd in a way to where they eventually like it too. And once they like it, you go from, who is that guy to, hey man, play that massive action again. From there you go to, how much he shows for shows and features. So uh, the first song I ever broke in the club in Houston was Young Buck, Shorty Wanna Ride With Me. Okay. So when that song, when his album came out, they were originally pushing another song. I can never remember for some reason what the name of that, that other song is. Oh, by the way, Larry Hoover. That's the guy that, that Jay Prince was Larry talking Hoover. to from, from Gangsta Disciple. Shout out to him. Oh. I, I don't want to make sure I didn't forget that. <laughs> Very honorable person. But uh, yeah, so... Um, Young Buck? They were pushing another song. And... and I bought the album. I used to live in Soundwave. That was the music store out here in, in okay. Houston. They might have had some in Corpus too. But I used to live in the music store. So I bought that CD the day it came out. And I would go through, look at the liner notes, listen to the whole CD at least once before I do, you know, whatever. 
When I heard Charlotte Wanna Ride With Me, I was like, this song was going to work. So I started playing it. And at first, people turned their nose up because the DJ they had at the club that I'm, I uh, work at primarily, they had another DJ, and he wasn't really a record-breaking DJ. So he didn't play shit they didn't already know. So I'm playing Charlotte Wanna Ride With Me before anybody noticed something. And I got this look, but then when the video came out and the radio got behind it, it was like, oh, this is my favorite song. From there, I, I learned to trust my instincts. Yeah. Then after that, the second song that I broke was Getting Some from Shauna. That used to be with DTP. Yeah. That was actually because I rapped myself and I, I did my first mixtape. I had her song on my mixtape. Yeah. And then, so from there, um, you got a uh, fat pimp with a uh, rag daddy and Maserati. I'm behind that. Um, B I C I C just B Britney. B King, B King, yeah, B King. Right? B yeah, no, B King is from Houston. He's from the north side. He? He's from Studio. I thought B King was from uh, yeah. Dallas. A lot of people think he's from Dallas because of the kind of music he makes. Yeah, and the town he came. Came out like that was that kind of a vibe they were they was on, but he was actually I met him first as a producer from another artist that whose song that I helped to break a, a, a young lady by the name of Candy Red. Yeah, she had a song called Independent Women. I think I, I remember that song. Independent bitches get down and us while we work. Independent bitches get independent. That song, right? <laughs> so B King made that beat. She used to be part of a group called the Gutter Mommies. It was like four or five uh, females that all yeah. rapped. And he made all of their tracks for them individually and as far as being part of this collective. And um, he sent me some songs. But, but hey, you know, I'm the guy that made, he emailed me some songs. This is like MySpace era. Yeah. Hey, man, I, uh, you know, I made the beat for Independent, blah, blah, blah. And check my songs out. And he sent me some music. At first, you know, that wasn't, I gave my honest opinion. If you ask him, he'll tell you I said it was trash, but I don't talk to people like that, so that's a damn lie. <laughs> so, uh, but what I told him is that this wasn't it, basically. And I kind of gave him some of my pointers or my opinion of what he could do to make it better. Because yeah. because I actually make music, I deal with artists differently than most DJs would. Mm -hmm. Most DJs either... Oh, this jam was, was whack. Me, um, you need to turn the low mids up on your background vocals, or you need to turn the bass down a little bit, or this hook, or this part right here should be the hook on the song. I can approach the artist that way. So he sent me music. He kept sending me songs. He eventually sent me what uh, the songs that made him first known was was Crush and Hammer. Well, uh, how did that so one the uh, the Crush was. Uh, uh, Dip it low, crush. To the flow, crush. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and say you won't work. They got you fucked yeah. up. Yeah. It was a song he actually ended up doing the remix with, with Charlie Boy and just Britney on it. Okay. And I'm actually in that video, too. And then there's another song called Hammer. Your partner, she look good, but you look better. Something, something, something. I'm a yeah. beast, Bruce Bella. Hammer, hammer, hammer. Yeah, I remember that song. Yeah, so, so I actually liked Hammer more than I liked Crush, crush, but I said both of them would work. 
And from there, he took off, and we've been working ever since. So whenever he yeah. got new music, he sent it to me. I start working it on my end. A lot of times he do videos, different stuff like that. I might be in a video. Not so much recently since he became Disgusting Justin with the cucumbers and shit. But before then, I, I was in a lot. Well, the vibe that he has been on, I would say, over the last couple of years, he made this hashtag called Disgusting Justin because Justin is his, his, his uh, government name. name. Yeah. Yeah. And he has this thing where he does stuff with cucumbers. So, you know, he he calls himself the, the Texas Uncle Luke. So, you know anything <laughs> about live crew itself yeah. to be the Texas version of that. So yeah. to that, to that end, he's incorporated this thing where, and I don't know if he still does it, but he'll do this at his shows where he brings cucumbers. Yeah. And the girls will pretend to perform fellatio on the cucumbers in the club. Yeah. We king. Yeah. Boy, that boy's crazy. Cool with it, bro. Indeed. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, little, little O? Is that, is that little O? Is that back, back? Yeah. S -U -C back, 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 back. That's my Give partner. Right? Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that guy still around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still making music. And some of his, some of his later hits, I helped to break. Some of his what, later hits. What, what is that? What does that mean? Like, I, I remember that song. Back. Is that just mean back? Like back up. Like give me some space. Yeah. Or is it mean like back up. Like, okay, like okay. that's a that's a black southern term. Back back means like back up. Yeah. Give me fifty feet. Yeah. Okay. What What about the uh, the twenty five ladders on my dresser? I. I I used to I used to jam that all the time, but like, what what is the 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 meaning behind that? The original phrase comes from MJG of A Ball and MJG. Okay, because MJG used to be from Houston, right? No, he's from Memphis. They're from Memphis. Okay, okay. but their label their label was located Swap House was located in Houston. Oh, okay. Nice. But they originally from Memphis. Mm -hmm. so, what, so what was the meaning behind that? On one of the songs, he said something like that. Uh, Every damn day I got a test of 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, yeah. sir. And basically what he was saying is he smoked so much that he got 25 lighters on the dresser. And he got to go through and check each one to find uh, one that okay. worked. <laughs> and so they kind of just borrowed that piece of, of that a Ball MJG song. And yeah. made it into a hook. That's what you're saying. Cause it, you know what? That that was when like everybody had like a lighter on them. Everybody was trying to smoke. Everybody was trying yeah. to smoke. So I see what you're saying. Uh yeah, that, that was that was around that the for the time frame when smoking was like really a big deal in rap. Like right yeah. now, if you smoke, it's like who don't? Yeah. Almost. And when it comes to rap, like you're not shocking anybody by saying you smoke weed if they know you a rapper. Yeah. But at that time frame, it was kind of like still a big deal because it was like basically right after the chronic and all that kind of stuff yeah, had yeah. really like made it a big deal. Yeah. So that's when everybody started making all these smoking songs and all that kind of stuff. And so MJG had that line on one of his raps. Every damn day I got the 25 yeah. lighters. Houston did and Grant made a whole thing about it. 
Yeah, that was that was a catchy little. Uh, what about uh, uh, Mr. Hit That Ho? He, yeah, they're from Dallas. He's from Dallas. But I broke okay. that. I broke that song too. Hit that hoe. I broke that into. In, what about in, that? In the, the the walk around the club. That's Who's, the same people. So they're from Dallas. Yeah, Trill yes. Lee and, and Prince Rick. All right, and Trill Hit Lee that and... hoe was like with them. Hit that hoe is a real person. Okay, so that's he's, the name. he's still actually influential in Dallas right now in the music scene. Is he? So yeah. uh, that walk the walk around the club that song is never gonna go old either. You still play that one? Well, it still gets play, but it's not as impactful as Hit That Hope. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. And I think mainly because it had something that you could do with it. Like, even with, with if you happen to have any, you know, up-and-coming rappers that's mm -hmm. watching this, I've told a few of the artists that I work with in the city this, but one of the easiest ways to get your song ingrained in a person's mindset is to attach a movement with the sound. And when I say that, I mean like, like I'm gonna use this for example. You know the song, uh, uh, Jim Jones, uh, uh, We Fly High? The we first song he had. High, you know it, yeah. So, so yeah. when it gets to the balling part, what do you do? What when you, you say you? bowling, yeah. <laughs> everybody knows to do this. Yeah, bowling. Right now, if you play that song in the club, yeah. anybody that's old enough to know that song is going to do that yeah. automatically. We fly. So, so I always suggest to artists that when wherever possible, if you can incorporate a movement into the song, yeah. it's going to stick faster. Mm. Because long before I learned the words, I know this little move you just did. Yeah. So with hit that hole, there's an actual dance to it. Mm. So let's say I'm in the club and it's a simple dance. So the thing about the thing that makes it hard to break music in the club that makes it where you got to really know what you're doing mm. is that when people come to the club, they don't really want to hear no new music. The club is basically oh, yeah. a, a sing along with alcohol. Yeah, that's what you're saying. So it's yeah. not it's not about your level of talent. It's about I can't sing along because I don't know this song yet. Yeah. So if let's say, for example, I'm in the club for an hour and, and the DJ playing all this music, I know the words to. I know when riding on boats come on, I mm. need to do this. Mm. I know when we fly high coming on, I need to do this. Yeah. I know <laughs> when whatever, whatever come on, uh, if it's a pulling up song, I need to do this. What do I do when your song come on? I don't know it. Yeah, I don't know it. So, uh, when do you when do you try to break in new songs? Like, in what? Like, is it early in the night? Like, early in the night, or like late in the like, like, like um, different different songs require different things. Yeah. So it's a case it's a case by case situation. Yeah. The 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 easiest rule of thumb is to start on the early end and work your way backwards. That's the what, easiest way. What does that mean? What does that mean? Meaning, like you play it for your ten o'clock crowd, mm. and then eventually you move it to your people that's in at eleven o'clock, yeah. and then eventually the twelve, and eventually the one. Because what's gonna happen is, let's say your people that's used to coming at ten and staying till two, a handful of them are around at eleven o'clock. So then you say so you got four or five people. Let's say if your club holds four hundred people, yeah, you got to buy ten people who come in around 10 o'clock who know the song already. Yeah. So when it come on at 11 o'clock, oh, that's my shit. That's my, they make the 11 o'clock people curious. Yeah. 
Mm. People get you people. Yeah. So the 11 o'clock people don't want to feel left out. So they want to know what's making them respond the way they responded. <laughs> and you keep that same theorem all the way back. So by the time you get to the prime time, which yeah. is around 12.45 to 2 o'clock in the morning, yeah. by the time you get to that point, you've created a little cheerleader squad, a little army Ooh. for this song you're trying to break. Because yeah. now you got 50 people or 60 people in this club of 400 that know this song and they love it. And they also love the fact that nobody else in the club know it yet. Yeah. So yeah. it's like getting the Jordans a week before they come out. Yeah. Do Do you ever Do, do you ever DJ till six in the morning? I know. Uh, I went to Houston yeah. a couple of years back, and I mean, I I think the club opened like at two or twelve or something. I used to do after hours. Man, I used to do after hours. I actually that, like after hours. Why Why is that? Because it's one of the easiest places to break a song. Oh, I see what you're saying. It seems like more people go to the after hours though. Yeah. Right. Teen club. Teen clubs. And after hours are the easiest places to break a song because kids are open to new stuff. Mm. And in the after hour, people are already on whatever they own. So yeah. they're, they're willing to let a, a song slide that they don't know the words to. Yeah. If I'm already half drunk, half high when I come in the club, I don't mind so much that you're not playing Lil Baby right now. Yeah. Hey, uh, so strip, strip clubs too. Strip club? What, uh, yeah. are you, what about that, the Bone Homegirl? That was, that was a jam, too, back in the day. I broke that. I broke, broke that. that yeah. <laughs> yeah. He actually came and performed at my birthday party twice uh, at, at the little spot I do here in Houston called Mr. A. Shout out to everybody that comes out the hood night on Monday nights. Good if night, you ever in the city on, on Monday night, man, come through. I'm about to come through over there. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, man, I, I appreciate your time, man. And, and uh, uh, I, I, wanted, I, I talked with Rocky, and she's like, man, you need, you need to get with uh, – uh, DJ Two Deep, he has a lot of history about about the culture, about the about what's going on in Houston. Tell tell me about uh, some of the things you're doing for the community, man. I, I read on your bio, uh, you're, you're very active in the community. Uh, tell tell us more about that. Well, indeed. Well, I'm glad you asked because on July 7th of 2020, we are doing the blackout here in Houston. Okay. And um, I am issuing you. I'm going to consider you my new friend. And as my friend, I'm issuing the invitation to you and right. your whole city. All and right. what, it, what it encompasses is on July 27th, not my bad, July 7th, okay. 2020, we are not spending any money. Okay. Well, what, tell, me, tell me about that. Um, it has been processed to all the recent uh, assassinations of... Yeah so-called minorities in the country yeah. that has popped up over the recent months. Okay. So we are taking a page from our Jewish brothers and we're talking with our dollars. Mm. Because one thing that I learned from dealing with our local radio station is that one of the first things you got to do to get to be able to sit at the table and have respect on, birth, on both sides mm is they first have to understand that you don't need them. Mm. Once they know that you can flourish and thrive without them, yeah. and when you sit to the table with them, it's out of choice and not out of force, then you can have respect on both sides. Yeah. As sense. long as the people that are considered to be in power believe that they are all powerful, 
they are not inclined to give you respect or courtesy. Yeah. You know. So, that. so, so basically, um, and I'm also working on something for the holidays. Mm-hmm. It's called the Black Saturday Movement. Basically, the day after Black Friday, I'm going to issue this invitation to you as well. Okay. We are spending money with no business other than black businesses. Okay. And I'm reaching out to people that are not necessarily black because I realize that for some of you guys that appreciate our culture, appreciate our existence in general, that when you see these things happen, you want to get involved too, but you kind of don't really know what you can or can't do. Yeah. It's like watching your homeboy have a fight with his brother at the family reunion. It's like, I want to help you, but y'all family, I don't kind of really know what's my yeah, place what's to on. even stop this from happening or, or yeah. whatever the case might be. So this is a way that you can be involved and show your solidarity without necessarily having to jeopardize your life or even jeopardize your own livelihood. Yeah. So January, uh, July the 6th, go buy whatever groceries, whatever gas, pay whatever utilities, whatever it is you need to do prior to July 6th. So on the 7th, you can function that whole day without spending money anywhere. Yeah. And the basic, the idea is to impact the government from an economic standpoint because that is the way to show them that we have power and that we want to use our power in a positive means because um, once you start affecting people's pockets they start looking they start looking and thinking different one thing I tell people a lot of times is you can't you can't get an asshole's attention by beating their ass. Mm-hmm. Assholes used to getting beat up. Yeah. But what if I can't pay my light bill because of some asshole shit I did? Yeah. It's now it's different. Now you got my attention. Yeah. And you got my attention without harming me bodily or putting yourself in position to be harmed bodily. Mm. Yeah, that's because oh, you, you even on. even but you, you focus on, on example, what, what affects them. Because yeah, even, even you can take the virus situation, for example. What you basically are seeing with all of these businesses being uh, uh, rushed out into uh, going back into operation mm-hmm. is they basically showing you that they scared the American public so effectively that they fucked up their own money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if the businesses are not opening, they're not getting the tax money from those businesses. Yeah. So if you look at, like, say, for Atlanta, for example, when the governor of Georgia was willing to op- open all the businesses back up to operate as, as usual, mm-hmm. you had 50 restaurants in Atlanta alone that said, we're not opening. Yeah. So think about all every time you buy some fries, a soda, a hamburger. The it don't just affect that business; it affects the state and affects the country from a tax standpoint. Yeah. So you got fifty restaurants that you made. Let's say throw a number fifty thousand dollars worth of tax money you would have got off of them for that day. You lost that now. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's so that's so true. I had a I had an interview with uh with the city city councilman, and he was he was saying that you know with all the shutdowns, they're having to uh, reevaluate their their uh, budgets for the next couple of years because of the income. Exactly. They, they're missing out all that the, the like you said Atlanta. Imagine how much money they get from from tourists. All that, exactly. The hotels. They're they're missing out all that money. So you have a, you have a good point there. And the crazy part is, the crazy part is, is eighty five percent of it was for nothing. Yeah. So, hey, so what, what are your thoughts on that? Was it, was it, was it a hoax or what? <laughs> this whole, this whole, I don't believe it was a hoax, but this whole situation has been. I don't know how much you are into the Bible, but Ooh. there is a scripture that says, "Our people are destroyed for lack of knowledge." Mm. This whole situation has been one big example of that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because if we actually took the time to do independent research, if we actually learned how to critically think, first of all. Because yeah. what I have learned <laughs> is everybody that you consider an adult does not have critical thinking skills. And if we use those critical thinking skills for those of us that have them and their influence, we would have known that a lot of these things that were happening were unnecessary. So let me give you an example. A virus does not only enter through your nose and mouth. Mm -hmm. It enters through every orifice, including your eyes and your ears. And if you didn't have on bottom, your front and your back. Mm So if I cover my nose and my mouth, but I don't cover my eyes and my ears, that's kind of like having your front door and back door locked, but all your windows up. Yeah, yeah. The real key to dealing with uh, uh, something, here's another thing, a lot of people are walking around with the virus right now. Mm-hmm. The only thing that separates the people who are showing symptoms from the ones that are not is your immune system. Mm. So if I believe that the people, what people on TV say without doing independent research, I'm going to put this mask on thinking that it's making me safe, but it's actually endangering me because if I'm not, if I'm wearing a mask and thinking I'm safe, I'm going in all these environments where this virus can enter in my eyes and ears and I haven't done a thing about my immune system because I think this mask has me covered. Yeah, that's so true. I, I was ta- I had a I was interviewing a doctor uh, on that. He's like, you know what? The worst, uh, the worst place that that uh, your most vulnerable place is through your eyes. He's like, exactly. When he's you like, look at, if you go like, I have a picture right now. I can send you out. This is over with. True. I have a few people that I'm close to that are in the medical world. Uh, uh, um, uh, I have two nurses and a uh, uh, um, paramedic. So here's another thing I find out. Let's say something happens to a guy called Ted, because I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, into like the power of words, so I wouldn't okay. put it on you. Let's say this guy Ted. Ted gets shot. Ted goes in the hospital for his gun wound they test him, find out he has coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Ted dies. They say on paper he died from coronavirus. Yeah. And now I know why. Because 
for every person who's written off as a coronavirus case, the hospital gets nineteen thousand dollars. And if they if they have the respirator on when they die, they get thirty five thousand dollars. But when you go do when you go do some real research, what you start to find out is they made you think that, and this is not to uh, uh, um, make light of anybody who suffered from it or, 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 or died because of it, condolences to them mm-hmm. by all means. But 150,000 people die every day. 50 to 80,000 people die every day just off of alcohol. You're not calling that a pandemic. Yeah. You're not snatching that off the shelf. Yeah. Hey, so uh, the same people that told you don't make a mask, they come back three days later and say, "This is how you make a mask." Yeah. <laughs> Which one is it? Which one is it, right? Hey, the, uh, there, there was a there was, I saw a post on Instagram that uh, Slim Thug had coronavirus, it? and Slim Thug and Scarface. Is that is that accurate? That is accurate. Oh, but that man. goes that goes right back to the immune system. Yeah. Because I'm going to give you a prime example. Yeah. My cousin, DJ Young Sam, is uh, uh, Slim Thug's DJ. Okay. And he does a lot of videos and stuff for Slim, too. So the last video that Slim came with, um, um, Hog Life, mm-hmm. Life is Crazy, my cousin shot it. I'm there with him shooting it. So all of this time, we around Slim. Yeah. Why we not see? Yeah. Immune system. Mm. So what, what I haven't think? had a cold in more than ten years, <laughs> but I, I approach my immune system different than the most. Yeah, you take care of yourself. Let me show you something. What, what do you think the motive was behind all everything? Irish moss. What is that? Irish moss. Irish moss. I'm gonna look that up. And that? burdock root is herb. All right. Irish moss. So Irish moss, give you background on that. Irish moss is um, the body, the human body takes 102 minerals. Irish moss has 92 of those 102 minerals. Ooh. What do you mix it with water or what? Um, you typically want to uh, mix it with uh, fruit, like oh. put it in a blender with fruit because okay, okay. it has, because it comes from the seed, it has a very fishy taste. Ooh. So you want to cover that up. For those who have this issue with, I can't eat this or drink this if it tastes a certain way. Yeah. I really don't understand adults, supposed adults that think like that, mm-hmm. because you're the same one giving your kid the Robitussin. Yeah. Take this medicine before you get the cold, blah, blah. <laughs> but you're an adult, and you can't eat or drink nothing that's going to mean more life for you. I don't understand yeah. that. Yeah. So what do you think the motive was behind the whole, um, the whole uh, nationwide scare? I was a worldwide scare. Part of it was money, but part of it, I honestly believe that we were and still are in a quiet war with China. They don't really want to say it like that because the same time that they said this virus started happening, they were saying they were trying to tell people not to get on TikTok because TikTok shares uh, information with China. But y'all use our information, too. So what's the difference? Yeah. If you're on Facebook, let's say right now, I could be talking to you on the phone about the new Jordans, and then you get off the phone and look on your timeline, and Jordan's coming up your timeline. Yeah. How is that possible? Because y'all are using our information, too. So why is yeah. it a big deal?
for China to have our information. Because if they're watching, if China is watching somebody like me, for example, all you're going to get is a whole lot of music. Yeah. <laughs> and, and positive. And I, w- I wonder what the, the whole uh, the whole idea behind uh, gathering so much people's information, like their data. I, don't, I wonder what the, what's really behind that. I mean, it, it's pretty it's pretty interesting to see where everything goes. Information going. and the willingness to do something with it is everything. Yeah. It, it goes right back to what I was saying about how people perish of neck, a lack of knowledge. Yeah. Now, had some, like, say, for example, had we had this conversation when the epidemic first jumped off, mm-hmm. would you have moved exactly the same as you moved over the last couple of months? Yeah, I see what you're saying. It, it would have changed everything. So if I know that, um, say, for example, that a great deal of Black people fear police, Depending on what my motive is, I can use that to my advantage. Mm, that's what you're saying. Or if I know uh, uh, Spanish people from different backgrounds have issue with each other, like a Salvadorians don't get along with Puerto Ricans or whatever the case might, mm. I can use that. Yeah. yeah. Information is everything. You can use it to manipulate people. Especially if I know and you don't know I know. Yeah. Because I can bring true. it up in a way, like let's say, for example, uh, if I know that you don't like uh, uh, white people, yeah. if I know you don't like white people, I can say, uh, hey, man, um, I'm getting ready to, to uh, sell this uh, car, and um, all I want is 1200 for it. Like, man, the best I can do is 1000 uh, Okay, well, I'll sell it to this white guy. He was going to buy it from me. For for thirteen hundred. Oh fuck that cracker! I'm gonna buy it from you right now. Yeah. You don't know I just played you because you don't know I don't. You don't know that I know you don't Ooh, like white yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Data information is everything. Hey, t- tell me how um uh how has how has the the like the internet changed like the music industry in Houston because uh, I know like everybody's trying to do everything digital now. Everybody's just trying to do their own thing digitally. How is that working out? For a while, it was it was shaky territory because one of the disadvantages of being how we are being an independent city uh, out of the trunk type of city yeah when you can no longer come out of the trunk because somebody's gonna buy one copy and make a thousand copies of it Mm. that come that turns into an issue yeah but like everybody else we have learned to (laughs) adapt and overcome yeah hey uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why i say right now is the best time to be a rapper from Houston. Better than the SUC days, better than the Swisher House days, better than even when Rap A Lot first started out. Yeah. Because so, now you can get the whole world from one city when usually you had to go city to state, state to state, and then hopefully you can jump the water. Now you could be the man in Germany just because you hot in Houston. Yeah, that's so true. So how many how many art, artists are, are kind of reinventing themselves? Like, I know I say I seen uh, Flip kind of like doing like a lot of stuff now, uh, social media stuff. He's kind of do, been doing a lot of interviews. It, Most of them are just some are doing it better than others. Yeah, because you got people like Chameleon there. He had a website when he was with Swisher House, and everybody on Swisher House was laughing at. Him. Mm-hmm. But now he's the VC dude. That they, everybody want to call and ask advice from. So, mm. 
Why, why, do, why, why do you think he was he was so quick to get out of Houston? The, the environment. Um, I think he he just saw something bigger for himself. You see a bigger picture for yourself. Yeah. It's like it's like some people, uh, um, and which is a shortcoming of some artists from the city. It's like if you used to going from being a, a, a nobody to your whole side of town knowing you, mm-hmm. for some people that's enough. Yeah. And then for other people, it's like there's a whole world out there. Yeah. So. If you look at people like Paul and and uh, Chameleon and Slim, they are the examples of the people that realize there's a whole world out there. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty interesting because that I mean that that was like uh, it's it's cur- I'm curious to know like for example let's say Chameleon there, who, who kind of introduced him, who planted that seed. And today, you know what? You, you have you have a lot of potential. Like you, you, there's actually a different world out there. You can you can run with this. And I think he he came, he came into it with that. I think that was something that possibly his parents uh, brought to him because he kind of came in with a certain mindset. I see what you're saying. Whole, the whole way him and Paul got with Swisher House in the first place was in a work position. They were out promoting for no limit. And Swisher House kind of got wind of what they was doing and said, y'all promote for us too. And that's how they got in the door. Whereas mm-hmm. with everybody else, they was kind of ushered in by somebody who was already a part of it. Uh, when it first started out, it was only like like three people involved. It was like, uh, I think it was, if I'm inaccurate, forgive me, but I think it was uh, Lester Roy, uh, Lil Mario, and Archie Lee. I actually went to, to middle school and elementary with, uh, with uh, Archie Lee. Mm. But uh, it started out with that, and they kind of little Mario or, or certain other people bring other people in. Hey, this is my partner uh, AD. Hey, this is my partner Big Pick. Hey, this is my blah blah, and it kind of come like that. Yeah. Whereas yeah. with with Paul and Cam, they didn't come in with a voucher, so to speak. They came in off the strength of we promoters and we do this, mm. and they kind of came in. So they kind of came in. With a business mind, almost. Yeah, seriously. And then you, and and then and then you see how that unfolds because then Paul gets into the grills, and Chameleon now get into Chameleonnow.com. Yeah. Hey, whatever happened up to uh, Mike Jones? Mike Jones don't live in the city no more. Uh, I this is my personal opinion. I think after the whole thing with Trey jumped off. He kind of um, he kind of let that steal his thunder. Who's Trey? Trey, Trey from uh, Trey the Truth. Oh, okay, so what happened with them? Um, when the Ozone Awards was here, mm-hmm. they had a fight. Oh, okay, I'll I'll say it like that. They had a yeah. fight, <laughs> yeah. and af- and after that, um, he kind of left the city, and he kind of just just did it like that. So. I don't I don't really understand why because but you know for some people ego ego in a lot of ways can be your your worst enemy. Yeah. Because some people can't come back from certain stuff, certain certain embarrassments or things they feel are embarrassing, no, they can't saying. come back from it yeah. because it's like if you have this view of yourself that everybody thinks I'm the man and then this happens to depreciate that view of you 
a lot of people can't come back from stuff like that. I see what you're saying. And, and, and so, I mean, what was, what was Michael like, not to get too much into to the, his story, but like, what was his background? He's from the North Side too though. But like, did he have that street background or he was kind of just more about the music? Not, not as much as Trey. Yeah, yeah. Like Trey, Trey is known almost as equally in the streets as he is with the music. Whereas with Mike Jones, he probably dibbled and dabbled, but he wasn't like an entrenched figure. Yeah, so you're saying like he was, he was, like a like a like like say for example, you look at the Migos, they might have dabbled, but they not Gucci Mane. Yeah, I see what you're you saying. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And, so and, and so that, Mike Jones a- is closer to what the Migos would probably be as far as they are influenced by the street, but they're not entrenched in the street. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And, yeah. and Trey is more of the Gucci man where he can make a call and have some blood show up, some Crip show up, some gangster disciples show up, some black yeah. disciples show up. Mike Jones had that kind of power. Yeah, so he probably didn't want to deal with that no more. It, well, it wasn't like, I don't think he was really being pressed like that. It's just, I think he never bounced back from the whole losing the fight situation. Yeah, he, could, he couldn't he couldn't look past that. Yeah, some people, and, and that's where that's where ego can get you in trouble. And that's that's yeah. why I'm always big on not having an ego. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, ego will get you in trouble, man. Yeah. Hey man, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure uh, talking to you. Tell, hey, tell me more about your uh, real quick about your podcast, the Faith, Faith and uh, Faith and Hustle show. That that's it, right? No, that's not my podcast. That oh, okay. was me featuring on somebody else's podcast. Oh, okay. I thought that was, uh, that was one of your, your your podcast. Hey, where so where can everybody find find you at? Um, if you in Houston Monday nights, I'm at Mr. A's Club on the North Side, thirty four nine Cavalcade. Beyond that, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on TikTok. DJ I I D E E P. It's actually an acronym. It stands for to disintegrate evil, educate people. Oh man, I like uh, that. And beyond that, uh, phone number is 832-428-8566. Man, it's public man. record because I've been in the streets so long, so it's like Yeah. I might as well, you know. <laughs> hey man, I appreciate everything, man. I appreciate uh you sharing your stories with us. Uh, if you ever want, if you ever want to jump back on, get, uh, send me a text, man. We'll definitely jump back on. And, and, yeah, cause I I saw I looked when when you hit me up and all that. I looked at some of your your other interviews. Yeah. And I was telling Rocky too. I was like, uh, she was, I was saying like, he kind of seems to touch on more cerebral subjects. Yeah. And and but it involves the culture too. So I was kind of thinking we was gonna end up getting into some of that kind of stuff. So. If you ever want to get into that, cause yeah, that, man. that's definitely my wheelhouse. Yeah, so. <laughs> and, and, I, and I and I picked up on what you said. You're like, you know what? I'm very, I'm very, uh, I'm very cautious with my words, and I'm, you know, and and I and I and, and I I'm a firm believer in massive passion and action too. All right, yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know what? We got we gotta we gotta follow up with, with that with the with the part two, and and we'll get more into like the mindset and stuff. Cause I, I mean, I enjoy talking about that stuff too. I do a lot of studying. And, uh, and and for sure, I'm, I'm, I'm real big on uh, uh, Tony Robbins, Bob Proctor, uh, uh, Eric Thomas. Yeah, nice. Um, uh, uh, Joe Dispenza, Bruce Lipton. Have you ever heard of Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton? 
Nah, I'm just gonna look them up. Oh man, I gotta get you up on them, boy. Yeah. I gotta get you up on them. <laughs> yeah. That that goes into quantum quantum mechanics and epigenetics. Nice. What is that? Tell me about that real quick. The the short version is we were educated wrong. We were educated on cause and effect, but we should have been educated on affecting the cause. Mm. We are we are taught to have a Newtonian approach to life. This happens and then I have to respond this way. Yes. But the, in actuality, it should be more like my state of mind affects my outer world rather than my outer world affecting my state of mind. Yeah. Did you, did you, did you see that interview I did with uh, Tim Story? I did not. Oh man, look at that. He, he's, he's so, he so nailed what you just said. He's like, you know, we live it like in a, in a state of like reaction. Yeah. You know, when we gotta, we gotta be. Uh, We've been taught that it's other people's job. Like, like basically something needs to happen outside of me for me to be happy. Yeah. That's what he said. And, and if, People, for whatever reason, decide not to be complicit in this mission of making me happy, then I'm sad. Yeah. But the way I wake up is I wake up happy. Yeah. Because I choose my state. Yeah. Happiness is a state and of I, mind. And, and I choose happiness. Yeah. And what happens is eventually something happens to add on to that happiness. Because mm. most, most people wake up and remember their problems to remember who they are. They identify themselves with their problems. Yeah, that's so true. So think about it. The average person, I don't know how far evolved you might be, mm-hmm. but depending on where you are in your development, when you first wake up, the first couple of seconds, you don't know who you are, you don't know where you are. But then you start remembering, oh, man, I got to take my son to the, to the doctor at this time. Oh, man, this, this toe is hurting. Oh, man, my car is tripping. Oh, man, I got to go to work this Monday. Man, I hate going to work on Monday. Yeah. And all these type of thoughts are what your first couple of thoughts of when you wake up in the morning to identify who you are. Mm-hmm. But me, I identify myself by my vision for the future. How do you, how do, you do that? Share, can you share that? Uh, I do what's called visualization and I have a vision board too. Mm, nice. So if I, let's say for example, most of the time when I wake up, I wake up in gratitude. So I do uh, gratitude affirmations. I, I, I thank God. I'll say things. Uh, I thank God that from the tip of my toe to the tip of my fingers, everything is working like it's supposed to. Mm. I thank God that I woke up in the bed and not on the streets. I thank God that I have a house. I thank God that I'm able to pay my utilities. I thank God that I'm still breathing. I thank God that he, he chose me to, uh, to wake up because a lot of people didn't wake up today. Yeah. Stuff like that. I start out there. And then from there, I go into uh, visualization. If you, if you look at a lot of celebrities, they speak about it. Oprah speaks about visualization. Uh, Jay-Z speaks about Jay. Uh, uh, Jordan would talk about it a lot of times before he go into a game. He would visualize. Visualize is basically daydreaming for a purpose. You create in your mind this mental movie of a desired outcome. For me, it's a, a movie that's a, basically a day in the life of my perfect life. So I have a movie in my head that shows from when I first wake up 
What does my bedroom look like? Where is my house? What does my house look like? Who am I waking up next to? When I get up, what do I do? What's my second thing? What's my third thing? What's my fourth thing? Where are my kids? What kind of car do I drive? Uh, what does my kitchen look like? How do I make money? Uh, what kind of influence do I have? All of those things are incorporated in that dream. So let's say, for example, with me, um, I plan to have a, a house near the ocean. Part of the reason is because I don't know how to swim. So I want to wake up facing my fear every day. Nice. So in, in this visualization, when I wake up, I look out my front window of my bedroom and I'm looking at the ocean. So and it's very detail-oriented kind of car I'm getting into, uh, the apartment complex that I'm going to build, uh, the children's books and uh, the novels I'm working on, uh, what my daughter is doing with her life, who my wife is, these type of things. And I do all of that before I get out of the bed. So that is my primer for the rest of my day. Mm. Yeah. So when you go into your day, yeah, so when you go into your day with a certain tone set and a certain mindfulness set, it makes your outcomes a lot more predictable and it puts you because gratitude is the best attitude to have. Gratitude is a healing attitude. Nice. For example, breast cancer, one of the things, excuse me, that people don't know is Pent up frustration and anger mm-hmm. um, contributes to breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Gratitude can actually heal the human body physically. Yeah. The guy named uh, uh, um, Joe Dispenza, I told you about. Yeah, Joe Dispenza. He 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 used to he used to be an athlete. I think he used to uh, uh, participate in the decathlons. Okay. He was participating in one and got hit by a truck, broke six of his vertebrae. He healed himself with meditation in the hospital. They told him he would never walk again, and they was going to put a metal rod through the center of his spine. He passed up that offer and healed himself in his own hospital bed with the power of his mind. Mm -hmm. We all have the power to do that. We just don't know. We are what a very uh, famous... uh, uh, um, um, Black activists said, we are eagles who have been told we are chicken so long we forgot how to fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff, man. That, that's so true, man. You, you touched on some, some good subjects there. Uh, anything else you want to share with us, man? Anything else? Let me know. Um, one thing that I always try to get across to anybody that's in the in, in hearing range of my voice mm-hmm. is that you are a creator created by a creator for the mm. purpose of creating heaven on earth. Nice. A lot of the travesties you see happen in the world come from the fact of we don't know who we are. Mm. We look at ourselves way more lowly than what we should. Mm-hmm. And I use this for example all the time. What if you yourself, if you knew when you woke up in the morning that you had a hundred million dollars in the bank, would you do everything you're doing right now exactly how you do it? Exactly, because you know you're a hundred millionaire. But you were created to 
be a creator, which means you have way more than 100 million. Mm. You just haven't decided to manifest it yet. Yeah. And so because of that, because you don't know who you are, you respond how you respond. Mm -hmm. You don't feel the need to steal from somebody when you know you can create. Yeah. Nobody can ever make you feel lack when you know you come from a God of abundance. Mm -hmm. It says it right in our prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, that's God. Hallowed be thy name means holy, oneness. Thy kingdom come. What is his kingdom? His kingdom is heaven. Mm -hmm. Thy will be done. That means your kingdom will come. Where is it coming to? On earth as it is in heaven. And it also tells you that every time that you forgive somebody, you are forgiven for something. How do you know this? Yeah. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's right there. It's just in our mind, it can't be that simple. Yeah. But all, all good wisdom is that simple. Mm, we overcomplicate it in our own minds. We're taught to overcomplicate it. It's our paradigm. Mm, paradigm is, is the source of all your failures and all your triumphs. If you want to know what your paradigm has in it that's positive for you, what is all those areas that you do good in? Mm -hmm. Paradigm is the reason why you may be aware of people who are college graduates that are homeless. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. you got a certified idiot in Donald Trump and an illiterate person in Mayweather, and they both multimillionaires. Yeah. Why is that? Because in their paradigm is the belief that I'm supposed to be rich. Oh, I see what you're saying. Your belief, your paradigm is basically a, a group of beliefs that were instilled in you before you were able to have discernment. Mm. And those beliefs is what informs your decision making, which yeah. informs your outcome. Not mean. only does it inform your decision, but it informs the energy you go into your decisions. Mm. So, so let me ask you this so real here, quick. Uh, go ahead. How how do you change your paradigm? Because most mm. times, most times, most times, the paradigm uh, shift occurs whenever you're put in a different environment. But how can you you tell yourself, hey, you know what, I'm gonna make this paradigm shift? Does it start with you know the gratification, the vision board? Yeah, first, first, you have to be aware that you are operating under a paradigm. Mm. That's the most important part because the average person just thinks they are how they are and that's just what it is. They don't yeah. know that there was a design to it and that you, they, they can redesign. Mm -hmm. Just like the average black person thinks that gravitating towards ignorance is a black thing. Mm -hmm. But when you learn that when you see a lot of those pictures of lynchings of black people, mm -hmm. what they didn't tell you is a lot of those people that were hanging, they were store owners or they were teaching other black people how to read mm -hmm. or stand up for themselves. So if you know, for example, if it was you, if your dad got killed for teaching mm -hmm. people how to read, you probably not going to want to read. Yeah. Because to you, reading equals death. 
So likewise, you have to know that you are how you are because of a design and that you can redesign. And then the second thing is you have to be aware of what contributes to your paradigm. And the things that contribute to your paradigm are the people you be around, what you read, what you listen to, and your environment. Yeah. So you start to orchestrate your environment for the paradigm that you want, mm, which so means you may have to stop listening to certain artists. Like yeah. there are certain artists who I can't listen as talented as they may be. Yeah. I can't listen to them that much because all they songs is fuck everybody. I don't fuck with everybody. Everybody don't fuck with me. I don't need nobody. Yeah. Y'all yeah. ain't shit. We ain't shit. Yeah. You, you know, you know, uh, not, not, not that you say that I asked, uh, I asked, uh, ESG, uh, how much, how much of, how much of like, uh, the law of attraction is incorporated within raps because, you know, I've heard like, uh, Drake. I saw sing, that. Yeah. I, I heard, that. I heard Drake sing a couple of songs and like, he's like, Drake said something like, uh, about the mining is something not to play with. Like Drake made a, made a, 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 a uh, it was it was a, a, yeah. a, a some lyrics in the song referring to like the mind, right? And so, I, and if you think about like a lot of rap songs, like they speak it in in kind of like future present tense, but it actually creates reality because they're they're singing about it. I, I, but exactly. I so I saw it. I saw when you said that, and that's exactly what I was thinking. So the thing about that part is the law of attraction is just like the law of gravity. It is at work, whether you are aware of it or not. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. don't not work because you ain't, it ain't like if you jump <laughs> out of the tallest building in Corpus, just because you don't know shit about gravity, you're not gonna hit the ground. Yeah. Again, I, we are destroyed by lack of knowledge. Yeah. I was right back around to that. So it, it has worked both ways. So what's mm. an example of it working in the affirmative? Sugar Hill Gang. Half the shit they talked about having, they didn't even have when they made that song. Yeah, yeah. But they eventually get ended up getting everything they talked about. Yeah. So what's the negative? Tupac, Biggie. Yeah, oh yeah. A lot of their stuff was, I'm gonna die, I'm ready to die, and they gonna kill me, and niggas gonna ride on me, and what ended up happening? Yeah. It's, it's, it's all involved. Yeah, it, happens to a, it happens to a lot of people, and it's even certain people, like if you, like I saw an interview with Ray Kwan where he says, like, he don't make songs where he's talking about getting killed or somebody killing him. Yeah. Because of that, he believes in the power of words. Yeah, that, that, that's crazy that, that, that if you think about Pac, right? Like, he, he was so educated, and he was so, you know, particular of, like, his words for him to switch up that kind of, you know, language because he kind of, I, I feel like he kind of, I don't know, it's weird now that you say He that. wasn't educated in that way. He was educated oh, a certain yeah. way. We all, we all have our, our areas of expertise. It's like right now, we talking about paradigm and stuff like that, and I sound pretty proficient. If you start talking about making tortillas from scratch, I'm going to start sounding like a certified idiot. Yeah. Ooh. So, I mean, one area don't guarantee you proficient in another area. Yeah. So he was knowledgeable on 
political things and certain ways of the world because his mama was a Black Panther. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. Whereas yeah. she may have not known nothing about paradigm, law yeah. of attraction, law of vibration, quantum physics, uh, yeah. a Newtonian first way of thinking or, or, or state of yeah. being. I control my own state. I can choose to be happy. Uh, I mean, I doubt his mama would have ever got on crack if she knew she can control her own state. Yeah, that's so true that you say that. Now, now so, if, you, if, you, if you go back, if you go back to the roots, you can see how how maybe he was more uh, of just speaking what's on his mind, not really aware of the of the, the cause and effect of what he's speaking. He, he was just because a, a, a paradigm is like it almost acts like glasses. Like mm -hmm. if I give you a, a pair of everything blue, you're mm -hmm. gonna have trouble. If I give you a pair of blue shades, say point out everything red, you're gonna have trouble. Because the lens that you're looking at the world through makes it hard to see these colors because of the lens you have on. Yeah. So that's, it's like your paradigm colorizes all of your experiences. Mm -hmm. So you could very well, like Eric Thomas speaks about it, the, the hip hop preacher. He talks about yeah. when they was trying to get their church. And when they first tried to get the building that they were looking for for their church or whatever, they had problems. And immediately he went to, they don't want to give it to us because we black. Mm -hmm. But in actuality, it was, they hadn't did certain procedures. Mm -hmm. And once they did the procedures, they was able to get the building no problem. It was yeah. just that because of the circle that you're used to being in, you're not even aware of this procedure to get the building. Yeah. <laughs> you that see what I'm saying? Sense. Yeah, yeah, so, that makes sense. So yeah. what's your what your immediate awareness goes to is what you're familiar with. And what are you familiar with? Black people getting shot on TV. Black people getting uh, denied this. And even with this quote unquote pandemic going on, yeah. there's pictures where black people have posted, well, I, I wanted to go in this store, Michael's, and they said I had to wear a mask to come in, but then I go in the store and these white people walking around without no mask. Mm -hmm. So that starts to inform your paradigm. It starts to be oh man, a black person can't get to this or a Mexican will never be able to be president or an Asian cannot, you know, do blah, 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 blah because yeah. that's what you grew up under. That's what you were yeah. told. When you're under the age uh, from, let's say, 10 and under, you don't have really have the ability to reject Anything that your elders pass down, you're going to accept wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. good or bad. So if you're raised in one family, you get Zimmerman. If you're raised in another family, you get Paul Wall. Mm -hmm. Same background, yeah. different teaching. Uh, uh, you, said you, you said you have children? How old are your kids? Yes, a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old. Yeah, that's good. I have we have uh, we have about the same age. Uh, I'll send you I'll send you yeah. a picture of our, our crew. We have eight. <laughs> yeah, so eight. oh man. Yeah. That's actually what I wanted. I wanted eight kids. When I was in in school, I had it in my mind that I would have eight children. Yeah. It didn't happen like that. My um, idea was to have six boys and two girls. And I yeah, have well, all their names picked up. <laughs> what, 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 what are some of the things that you're changing as far as raising your kids? Like I know that uh I have a daughter, my daughter's just turned five. And uh, when she was born, uh, 
me and my wife had this conversation where I was like, you know, uh, do you understand? Like she's, she's basically, she's like basically buying like a computer with zero information on there. It's going to be up to us to decide what we're going to upload into to her, her mind. And that's, that is, is exactly right. And the, av- the average parent is not aware of that. Yeah. They don't even think like they're not even trained to think that way. In their mind, as long as their kids got clothes on, not starving, and the school ain't calling them, they're doing their job. Yeah. They, they're just not trained to even think about paradigm and stuff like that. Because if you look at most people's parenting approach, their mouths say they want their children to be better than them. But their actions say, you need to do exactly what I did. How can you be better than me if you do exactly what I did? Yeah, that's so So true. So what I try to do with with my kids is teach them all the stuff that I wish somebody would have taught me. Yeah. Because, like, say for me, for example, I had my time when I was in street life. But it all came from I was really an entrepreneur since day one. Mm -hmm. When I was a little kid, I would, let's say, for example, me and you were friends when I, we, I was eight years old. You was eight years old. I came to your birthday party. You had a pinata. Mm-hmm. They bust that pinata open. I'm finna get at least 100 pieces of candy, and I might eat five of them. All the rest, I'm going to school and sell. Yeah. So I was being sent to the office in second and third grade for having $200 in my pocket, and couldn't nobody explain where I got it from. Yeah. That should have been fostered into something. Mm. But I, my paradigm is employees. Yeah. I come from a place where nobody that's from my neighborhood owns a business in my neighborhood. Yeah. And my mom and my stepdad was all about graduate high school, you got to get a job. Go to college so you can get a good job. Mm. The idea of creating a business never even dawned on them. Yeah. So we talk about stuff like that. And I use, I have, we have adult conversations. I don't, I'm not vulgar with my, with my daughter or my son, but we have adult conversations. So for example, with my son, I told, I, I was teaching him about the principle of paying yourself first, mm-hmm. which is something that I learned from Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah. He wanted some LeBrons or whatever the hot shoes was at the time. And his mom contributed a certain amount and I contributed a certain amount. And he was like going to buy the shoes. And I was like, why would you take that money and go spend all of that on shoes? And if something happened to the shoes, you're going to lose your mind. So what we're going to do is you take that money and put it into something that can make you more money. Yeah. And then from there, you go buy the shoes. And if something happened to the shoes, you can go buy some more shoes because you got yeah. more money coming. So from there, he went and bought a lawnmower. He put some flyers out around, because they live in Tomball. Yeah. Put out some flyers around Tomball. He started cutting yards. He bought his shoes and still had more money coming in from cutting yards. Yeah. So those are the kind of things that I, I, I try to teach my kids. I try to improve upon the stuff that I learned. Because my parents made mistakes, but my parents taught me a lot of good stuff, too. Mm-hmm. And specifically with my daughter, I've taught her that Whatever, when you get to the, to, the, to the place of having children, everything that I taught you that can work, you pass it on to them. Yeah. But you're supposed to evolve 
from what I showed you. So that means if there comes a time when some of the stuff I taught you it doesn't work or you've learned better than what I taught you, by all means, trade that out for the new information. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. Yeah, because a lot of times, a lot of parents, a lot of kids think they have to listen to their parents, you know, and they think it's only one way. And uh, I think that's, that's uh, I think that goes back to, to encouraging them to ask for help. Like there's nothing wrong with asking for help or asking for advice. Uh, that, 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 that's so true, you said that. That's awesome, yeah. man. And, I, and, and I'm very big on, on teaching them things that are outside of the norm. I'm not a normal person. I don't yeah. want to be normal. If I woke up in the morning and I was normal, I'd go back to sleep. <laughs> um, so we talk about stuff like alkaline foods. We talk about meditation. We talk about developing certain principles, uh, doing more than what you, if you do more than what you get paid for, you eventually get paid for more than what you do. Mm, yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, let me ask you this. How, how long has it been since, since you kind of like discovered like this side of, of, of yourself? Like what I mean by that is like, uh, you, I mean, I'm pretty sure you said you, you read uh, rich dad, poor dad, right? That, that planted a seed in, into, mm -hmm. Uh, assets and liabilities. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, at what point did the whole uh, vision board uh, gratification come into play, and and how did like what 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 point of what what part what point of uh, your life were you at when you had to make that transition? Well, I've kind of always been on this path. I've mm. always been the weird dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, well, what was the first book that you? like kind of introduced you um the path of reading for betterment started with the autobiography of malcolm x mm. okay and then from there like i haven't read a whole lot of books mm -hmm. but i've read certain books a whole lot of times mm. okay and i prefer that approach and so from there, I got to um, Behold a Pale Horse. What is it? Behold a Pale Horse. Behold a Pale Horse, okay. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't heard that. Well, if you read Behold a Pale Horse and you're knowledgeable on the Bible, you don't mm. really have to watch the news. Mm. Because everything that's happening is in one of those books or yeah. both. Mm. So... Um, even with this pandemic stuff, I've read this in 98. Mm -hmm. All these cameras that are everywhere, I told people this was coming in 98. Gentrification, I told everybody in my neighborhood it was coming. I yeah. was crazy. Nobody believed me. Now, I get a call, especially with this corona shit, I, I got my phone turned into a hotline when corona jumped off. Yeah. Because basically all the shit that I told them that they said I was crazy for, they see it happening in real time on TV and mm -hmm. in their real life. And they wondering how I knew that in 98. Yeah. So as far as like a uh, vision board that came along later in life, but the path to getting to vision boards and the gratitude has always been there in mm -hmm. the, the actual gaining knowledge of that part and putting it into practice. Uh, I would say about, maybe four or five years ago mm, nice. and it kind of came around 
me coming out of dealing with the death of my mom. Mm, sorry to hear that. Because most, and, and uh, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, most people um, learning about how the human mind works, most people, if they ever have a paradigm shift, it usually comes out of something extreme happening in their life to make yeah. them have to stop and really do what I call a self-check. Yeah. And so when she passed and I've always kind of been a positive person, an entrepreneurial, a self-sufficient kind of person, but I had like a four year gap where I was kind of going through the motions. Mm -hmm. I was still involved in the community. I was still involved in the music. I was still involved in all the things that were important to me but I wasn't putting the same kind of energy behind it yeah. because my mom was a big motivation for a lot of the things I was doing, mm -hmm. like wanting to see her in a better place, wanting to uh, not create a situation where her son is looked at in a bad light and reflects on her as a parent. Because think for if you became a bank robber, the first thing they're going to say is what kind of mama he had. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So wanting to being wanting to put myself in a position to be the good son and stuff like that. So like when she wasn't here, it's like, it was almost like, what is it for now? Yeah. Why am I trying to become a multimillionaire when half my reason was wanting to be able to take care of my mama and she's not here. So those kind of situations started me on the path of having to really uh, evaluate where I was in life. And I was in a real dark place for a while. And I had to become my own light. Yeah. So the vision boards and learning about how the human mind works and um, reading, uh, uh, reading uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, reading uh, 16 Laws of Success, which is actually a more uncut version of Think and Grow Rich. And a couple of other books that I've gotten into was all results of climbing out of that hole. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, and now work. knowing what I know now, I know that all of that was supposed to happen because mm -hmm. I had to go through those things to learn what I learned to now be able to teach what I teach. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and I guess uh, I guess you you kind of use that to to um to i mean it, it sounds like it sounds like you just like you're like it sounds like you're a whole different person from when you were, grew up you know because your your mindset's at a whole different place like you're, you're i was i was i was always i guess what you would call an intellectual person mm -hmm. but there's two me's there's the me that was more leaning towards Malcolm X. Yeah. And then there's the me of now that leans more towards mindfulness and and Dr. Sabi type approaches and philosophies yeah. to life. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So the me before, <laughs> like say with some of the current situations going on, I would have took it more like, man, they always doing this to black people and blah, blah, and we need to do this and blah, this and that.
But my approach now is when these things happen is African proverb, which says, if there's no enemy within, the enemy without can do us no harm. Mm, yeah. So uh, to that, in this particular situation, what that would mean is we have given other people too much control of our life. And that was our doing. A lot of what's going on with us is our fault. And that's the good news. Yeah. Now, if you interview a lot of black people, or this was like a conference call, and I said this, a lot of black people would get mad. Mm -hmm. But they're not understanding the position it puts you in. One of the first things I had to do coming out of my hole mm -hmm. was to realize that everything in my life that's not going the way I want it to be is my fault. And a lot of times when you have that realization, at first, it's depressing. But once you get past that part, it's empowering. Mm -hmm. Because because if you um once you realize everything is your fault, now you realize you got the controller in your hand. Yeah. If it's my fault, I can fix it. See, if it's your fault, I gotta wait for you to decide to fix it. Mm -hmm. And if you never decide to fix it, then I just gotta live with it. Mm -hmm. But if it's my fault, I can fix it whenever I get ready. Yeah, that's so true. Man, it's powerful stuff, man. Uh Man, I, we've been on, we, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours. <laughs> About a, a good, strong two hours going on. Yeah. Hey, man, so uh, tell everybody where they can find you at again. Uh, on your Instagram, TikTok. Uh, you have a website? Not yet, but I'm working okay. on it. I'm, oh, I'm man, working on a, a, a children's book, so as soon as I get that done, the website comes oh, nice. around. Oh, nice. I think, I think yeah. your Instagram will, will kind of get you a lot of... Uh, Stuff going on. I think everybody on Instagram taking advantage of that platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DJ I I D E E P on everything. That's Facebook, right. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and whatever else ends up coming out is gonna have that. Um, right. And again, the phone number is eight three two four two eight eight five six six. And in general, if you're in Houston, especially if you're on the north side, just ask for too deep. Somebody going to know where I'm at because right. I am the north side. Once you pass over Georgia or Brown, all <laughs> that's my house. All right, man. Hey, I, de I definitely want to go down there and, and hang out and, and see what's going on. I haven't, I haven't been to Houston. Uh, it's been maybe about uh, three or four years, maybe longer than that. The last time I was down there, I think we were at the, the Dub Car Show out there. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a Dub yeah, Car Show. I, I, used, I used to frequent that Lost Magnificos. Okay, yeah, Los Magnificos, yeah. If you, I used to be at all of them. I used to be at all before I was DJ. I used to be at all of them. Oh, really? If you ever, if you mm. ever get a chance, uh, uh, on YouTube, if you if you search, uh, Stan Medina, South mm -hmm. Texas Custom. Okay. Stan Medina, South Texas Custom. Uh, you'll kind of you'll kind of see the the old me, and, and okay, you'll kind of you'll kind of you'll see what what I was I was uh. uh and so I, I, I grew up around, you know, doing all that stuff, you know, the, the, the low rider cars, the, yeah. the, the Lambo doors, the pop trunk, the yeah. mounts. Uh, look, at, look at some of my stuff, you get a chance. Oh, yeah, I'm going to definitely check it out because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm semi into car, car culture because understanding how the, the car culture impacted Houston and even music, yeah. it makes me look at 
car culture in other areas. Yeah, it, it, it definitely, it definitely, it, it definitely, uh, not, not to, we'll have to say this for a different, different interview, but uh, the Rennes Rhyme was the first song I heard out of Houston. Okay. Uh, prior to that, uh, before I, I, Mind I, Playing Tricks? Well, Mind Playing Tricks, but Mind Playing Tricks was, was, was more, it wasn't Rennes Rhyme, it was more about shining. The Houston vibe. The shining, you know what I mean? The, okay. the, you know what? Like, it's time to shine. Yeah, the, the the ghetto boys, it it wasn't it didn't have that it didn't have that 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 shine to it. Yeah. Okay. Because they were they were designed to be the public enemy of uh, exactly the South. exactly it was public enemy kind of thing. Yeah. When the British rhyming came out, uh, it opened up a door in my life, and, and because it actually I I did custom painting I did candy painting, mm-hmm. and so. I was the guy in corpus, like I was the the, the slab guy. I was the yeah. guy, and so like I, I just grew up around that environment. You know what I mean? Like I grew up, you know, and it, it, you're with a bunch of hustlers. It's that environment. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, but it actually it actually created like a big movement, and uh, and and uh, you know I had a lot of friends. I don't know if you know Flatline. Flatline from he was from corpus. I heard of him. Flatline was a really good friend of mine. Uh, you know, he passed away, but you know, he kind of was in that kind of era. Yeah, that's and, that's when that's when I heard of him when he passed away. Yeah, yeah, he was he was real big down here, man. He was doing a lot of things, and he was real connected up there in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, uh, I appreciate your time. Let's definitely let's definitely stay connected, man. I, I definitely appreciate your time, and hopefully, I wish you well, uh, much success. Uh, the, the power's in your hands, man. Indeed, indeed. I greatly appreciate it, man. RIP to the OG Wicked Cricket. Appreciate anybody that's checking this out, man. Y'all make sure y'all support this man because he's doing good things. Later, brother. Bye-bye. Bye.